0: There's diversity, there's equity and in there's inclusion. They're all different initiatives that require different work and they require different skill sets, but they're interconnected. Diversity is about being invited to a dance, but inclusion is being asked to dance and
1: there's a huge difference. From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, the head of Lyft Labs, and today's guests are Stephanie Johnson and Andrea Perdomo. Stephanie is a professor at the University of Colorado who studies how unconscious bias affects the evaluation of leaders. Her new book, Inclusify, the power of uniqueness and belonging to build innovative teams provides actionable ways leaders can build and inspire more inclusive organizations. Our second guest, Andrea, is the network catalyst of diversity, equity, and inclusion at our partner, Techstars, where she coordinates and ignites DEI initiatives. Before joining Techstars, Andrea was the co-founder and president of Revelar, a Techstars company. In this episode, Stephanie and Andrea join my colleague, Juana Taro, vice president of DEI for Comcast NBCUniversal at one of our Live at Lyft events. They'll explore what inclusivity really means in a work environment, and talk about how both founders and employees can work to build a more inclusive company culture. They'll also share steps that you can take right now to start building the foundation for a more equitable future in your own workplace. All that and more with Stephanie Johnson and Andrea Perdomo, now on Ideas Elevated.
2: I'm going to kick it off by just briefly asking our esteemed guests to tell a little bit more on their what their current role is and how they got to this place what's the path that you took to uh that brought you to this moment in time
3: so i am actually a college professor at the university of colorado and so how did i end up in that role Uh, i don't think it's that interesting but how i ended up studying diversity and inclusion i think is pretty interesting um because it really came out of finding consistent evidence of bias when it comes to the evaluation of leaders of color and female leaders. And I'm like, I have to figure out what's going on here. And probably a few years ago, it started to become really apparent that a lot of the companies I worked with Mm -hmm. to help them improve diversity outcomes did so. They had more diversity. And they're like, so, you know, we had all these promised outcomes of you know, higher profits, better decision-making, greater innovation. And that's true, but we also have higher conflict, more turnover, and other concerns that emerged. And it, I think it's inclusion. That's kind of the answer. You, you can work all day at increasing diversity, but unless you have inclusion, it's just like not going to stick. And so that's what made me uh, write the book, Inclusify, and kind of what brought me here
2: today. That's awesome.
0: I've always kind of said I've stumbled my way to where I am, but it always felt like the right the right place for me to be at the right time. So I actually co-founded a hardware company back in 2013. My co-founder and I were both Latina. So I'm originally from Columbia. I started the company really young with a fashion background, um, got told multiple times that we had no business being in tech. We proved a lot of people wrong. That experience was actually what led me and inspired me to be in my current role. I personally faced a lot of challenges, what I call transparent walls, um, where I could see exactly where I needed to go, but for some reason couldn't get there, right? I realized that I had a lot of opportunities even still facing challenges that many entrepreneurs still face today. And so my role at Techstars is really geared towards helping other entrepreneurs like myself to you know, not only have access to entrepreneurship as it relates to capital and network and education, but also, you know, in spite of that, I at Revelar was able to build a really, really great culture. But for me now in my role, I get to, you know, talk to founders and help them create inclusive, diverse and equitable cultures within their startups, but also on the broader ecosystem and power other entrepreneurs to also go on this journey.
2: Very interesting and powerful stories. Um, maybe we should start from the beginning. Um, I think in this time, this moment that we're living in, we hear the phrases "diversity and inclusion," "equity," thrown out a lot. I'm that guy in the meeting that always says, "Well, what, is, what does that mean? Like, can you tell me what does that mean to you? Because you can't fix what you can't measure." Thank you. Yeah.
3: So, my definition of inclusion is kind of like has two facets. It's one that you feel like you belong. We all heard the term belonging over and over again in 2019, right? Like it's not just diversity and inclusion. Now you have to belong too. And it's that feeling that you're accepted or valued. It's like that's what belonging is. But that's really not enough. And so that second half is the uniqueness element of you can't just belong. You have to feel that you belong while still representing your true authentic self. Or sometimes people say bringing your whole self to work. You know, this is awful, but I just, I'm a Cub Scout leader. For my kids are both in Cub Scouts, a daughter and a son. And they've made Cub Scouts co-ed. So this is probably because they were going bankrupt, right? And so they're like, let's let girls participate. That'll increase participation. And so we get this magazine called Boy's Life. And it says Boy's Life in huge letters. And then a tiny little subscript that says, good for girls too. And my daughter's <laughs> always like, so mad. Like I'm out. I don't want to participate in Cub Scouts anymore. This isn't, this basically isn't inclusion. Like, yes, you can go to West Point, but you're going to be ostracized or separated or less. You can be in Cub Scouts, but it's, we're not going to change anything to welcome you. We're just going to let you attend so we can benefit from you. Not inclusion. It's really like allowing the place to change so that it works for everyone and everyone's contributing to the culture.
2: That's really helpful, thank you for that. And then we, we've got this overlay of equity, which has now become baked into so much of what we do. And I, I am still struggling, um, you know, for sort of what is that macro definition and all that. And I think, it's, I think it is about outcomes, but I would love to get both, Andrea, I don't know if you wanna talk about that, Because I think it's such an important lens, but we have to again get to that definition of what we're trying to look at here.
0: There's diversity, there's equity, and there's inclusion. They're all different initiatives that require different work, and they require different skill sets. They're interconnected, right? I think that's what makes it kind of complex in some people's minds: is that like, but how do I do all of these? And there are simple ways to do it. I want to make sure that that's clear: that we don't have to overcomplicate it. But one of the the best examples that I've heard especially as it relates to diversity and inclusion is that diversity is about being invited to a dance so I know we've all probably gone to awkward dances or maybe an event or a party so diversity is being invited but inclusion is being asked to dance and there's a huge difference there and I think Stephanie like you were just saying right of being a Latina in in the field that you're in and even for me I started to catch myself thinking why am I trying to act like what's around me instead of being who I am. But on the equity piece, another really great example that I always use is there was actually a, an orchestra orchestra tryout, right? And they realized after the, the tryouts were, were, were done that they only had 10% women on the orchestra. So then they said, okay, it's got to be our process, right? Like we can see that there are women, there's bias feeding into this. So how do we start to remove that? And then they said, all right, blind auditions, and it increased slightly to 20%, but they realized that you could still hear women's heels clicking on the ground when they were going on to perform on stage. And so they did one more time, right, barefoot auditions, and then they actually saw that equity come through. And so that, again, like, is just a very visual representation of what the hard work that does have to go into creating equity. And it, and it is hard. And I think that's what we all strive for. But it's it's one of the most challenging ones to do, because you have to stare at yourself in the mirror and realize that whether it's intentional or not, um, you are creating imbalances that aren't providing equity for, for everyone that's, that's included.
2: I love the orchestra story. Talk about the intentionality that folks were doing to try to, we've got an issue, we're going to try and solve it. That's, it's just, it's, it's really just, that's a powerful story. Um, the clicking of the heels, things like who would have thought. Um, can we hone in just a little bit in your, on your experience Andrea, as in your journey, if you will, with startup experiences, what have you seen in terms of building that positive culture, safe, inclusive from a tech perspective?
0: Yeah. So one that it's, that it's really challenging if you don't start early. Um, so that's actually one of one of the points of feedback and advice I always provide to founders is if this is something that you really care about and that you really want to live and breathe within your organization, you have to start early. And what better way to do that than when you're a startup and when you know you're starting to build a small team and you can actually start to think about these these pieces and how they really benefit the your company in general, right? There's so many stats out there that diverse teams make better decisions. Gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to outperform. Racially and ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to outperform. So what I've seen is like, there is of course a challenge because we are seeing, for example, um, there's not as many women as we would like to see or specifically women of color that are in the tech space. But that doesn't mean that there aren't, there aren't individuals out there and communities out there that could be a part of what you're building and what you're creating. And so I think that's something that I always hear a lot is that it's a pipeline problem. And, you know, I can't hire diversity because it isn't out there. It is, (laughs) Um, you know, maybe we just need to broaden our scope and broaden the network that we, we live in. And so that's, that's always what I tell people. I think the second thing to that is, you know, just like when you're going through a new product, launch or putting a marketing campaign together. Think of of diversity, equity, and inclusion in that work that you want to do in a very similar vein. What are you tracking? What are the outcomes that you want to have? What's the revenue that you're going to put behind it to support these initiatives? How are you going to track progress? And thinking about this work in the same mindset because it is, it is beneficial to your organization. Right. And and getting rid of that mentality that like, it's just something I have to do for, for, I hear this a lot like charity or just for PR or marketing, but it, it truly is so beneficial to your organization.
2: That is great stuff. And that's going to help me feed into a question for you, Stephanie, in terms of the interviews in your book, you talk about folks who you've interviewed leaders of companies who sort of miscalculated the importance of team members' uniqueness, their diversity, what makes them, makes us all special. Tell me about uniqueness, belonging, why they're so important, and how can a startup founder, to build on what Andrea just talked about, how can they leverage that to create that culture of uniqueness and belonging?
3: So I think with um, startups, the biggest thing that I've found, compared, you know, maybe to much larger enterprises is that because they're so small, they really focus on hiring people who naturally fit the culture or recruiting from your existing networks because how else are you going to find people, right? Like you want people you know and trust. And I think it was PayPal that really started this sentiment when they were just a startup of like, you want to hire someone who you want to have a beer with, right? And the founders have these quotes of like, you're geeky, you don't play sports, you know, you're perfect for this role. And that, I mean, it has a, there's a couple problems, right? Like if you're only hiring people who fit your culture, then you're not bringing in that diversity of thought and perspective. And and so that's not good Two, And the uniqueness part is really communicating to people that you want those different perspectives to be heard and out on the table. And I think as long as your culture fit is like, our culture is inclusive, you can hire people on culture fit. But otherwise, I really think of it um, as like a culture ad who's going to add and enhance your current culture.
0: I think part part of what I hope that we can change, especially with more conversations that we're having about diversity, is that how I identify is, it is very personal, and it's something that you should be able to be proud of. And, you know, it's not just about your appearance, it's about your culture. Like, I know Stephanie. Maybe you can actually. All three of us could probably attest to this. Like, I saw. I talk in circles. It's part of the 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 Latina in me. Like, I love building relationships, and even that is something that is very unique to how American culture, American, you know, work is done, and that's been hard for me to navigate through. So, you know, although like I, I do like have a lighter complexion, like it doesn't change who I am or where I'm from, and it doesn't change the challenges that I've seen and faced even by checking that box when I'm applying for jobs or applying for school or applying for investment, right? It does change people's perception of who I am, regardless of what I look like. And so I just wanted to, to kind of level set that because I think it's important for us to think about that when we're talking to other people as well.
2: Well, and thank you both for the honesty, the frankness. Again, I, it is Hispanic Heritage Month, so I'm glad that we're talking about this. Um, And it's a whole separate conversation about the the notions of the monolithic Latino. So thank you for that. I'll open this up to you because I think this is also really important because this is about culture comes from the top. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It's about leadership. Um, Do you, either from both your paths, seen um, how do you address the issues when the CEO, their leadership how can you help them when they're uncomfortable about the issues? How do you help them identify policies? What works for their leadership style? What advice can you give about how do you deal with that? And in particular, last point I'll make is how do you deal with the silences that sometimes you hear that I think could be very well-intentioned, but people do get intellectually paralyzed when having to talk about issues of race in corporate culture, which traditionally do not talk about issues of race, but either of you or both of you, I would love to hear your thoughts on it.
3: There's so much in that question. Like it's, there's just, I think that's a really great question, but my approach is like, you know, meet people where they are and give them a path forward from the spot that they're starting at. Because I think when you, if you are like attack people, I think, you know, their amygdala goes crazy. They can no longer listen. They can't learn. And I think it's just going to make them dig in their heels rather than bring them forward and I think inclusion, I'll say, has been super useful. I, you know, I have worked with leaders for years talking about diversity and that makes people super uncomfortable, for sure. If you didn't grow up talking about diversity or thinking about it, like, I think it feels awkward. But inclusion seems to be like a bridge. Like everyone wants to be inclusive. Everyone would at least say out loud that they want different perspectives and they want to make the best decisions. And so I think you can like, kind of bring people along with that lens of like, how can we be more inclusive? And then you can realize, well, we're not actually inclusive if everyone looks exactly the same. That's actually kind of exclusive, right? Even if we hear from everyone, that we're not really hearing different voices. So I think then you can, of course, also add in diversity if that's lacking. Mm -hmm. But I find, I don't know, I guess I find that to be just meet people where they are, approach them with empathy, a lot of the, their perspectives, they learned it. Like in my, I'll say millennials and Gen Z, like they have grown up since I'm a college professor. Right? Like I see all these generations just kind of pass in front of my eyes. And I think they've grown up being more comfortable around to, uh, topics of diversity and pronouns and ability and all of these things. And they are they were indoctrinated with this idea of uniqueness, right? Like you do you, you got to be yourself. Everyone should be their true and authentic selves. But I think that wasn't true when I was a kid. It was like assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. You want to just like fit in. And I'll say people like my mom, that was even more true in her generation, um, being a Mexican-American in Los Angeles, like you want to just kind of fit. And so I think those execs or, you know, people who are, running startups if they're not like super young, but they're just, that's what they learned, you know, and they have, it's harder to unlearn something. So I, I try to be empathetic for the fact that it's a journey.
0: You know, I think there's kind of two separate conversations. One is you're a founder and your board isn't necessarily supportive of doing this work. And then the other side is, are you an employee within an organization where you, you see that leadership isn't supporting this work. And I think for both, it's how much are you willing to tolerate that, right? And that's why I think part of, part of why this work is so hard is because you do have to look at your own personal journey in, in correlation and in, um, in parallel to what your company is doing. Um, and they both go hand in hand. And so, you know, on the, on the founder side, if this is something that you really want to do and your board's not supportive, you know, is that a board member that you really want on your board, right? Like, that's the question I would be asking is, if this is really something that matters to you, is that the right person to have on your board? When you're looking at hiring a leadership team, like, and this is something that matters to you, is it also something that they share value in? If not, don't hire them and don't add those people to your board. On the company side, you know, standing up for what you believe in is it's great and it's empowering and I'm always one to encourage people to do it, but it also comes with, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the thoughts that might be going through your head is what if I get fired? <laughs> like what if leadership doesn't like me standing up and, and saying that what we're doing in our hiring practices is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, it's like, how, how much do you like working there and how, how much of that passion that you have for social justice are you going to bring that to work? And I think it's a, it's a really important conversation to have because it is difficult to stand up for the things that you believe in. I personally am tired of being silent. And so um, I, I think that's part of what we've seen is this public pressure for those leaders and acknowledging that it's not okay and you can't ignore it anymore.
2: Can I just build on that just a yeah. little bit on terms of the smaller companies, the smaller corporations? You know, when you think about the scale of a Comcast corporation in comparison to a startup, a family-owned business, mm-hmm. any advice, any thoughts in terms of what you've seen in that ecosystem that may be different from, again, you know, a multinational, you know, where the resources and uh, there are other issues of you know, size and scope that um, won't creep into you. You're trying to build a business with a, a successful P&L. Anything that your wise counsel on that?
0: I think it's super important regardless of which actually to, to think about your why. So like, is it important for you? It's really important to set a goal with intent. So, you know, we all know that these are the right things to do, but, but how is this going to benefit your business and how, why do you really want to do this work? And I think that's important for whatever stage company you're you're at, but even on the earlier stage, again, like if it's something you can embed and, and really put into the strategy of your organization of something that you want to do. And you want, you want in 10 years, right, to have a really diverse workforce and you want everybody to feel included and you want all of your processes to be equitable. um, And you want it to be a place where, where people want to work at, then you have to start early and it has to be embedded into your strategy. And that's, You know, I would say that that's true of of larger organizations too. And it's interesting on the budget side. And I know startup founders run into this. They don't have an HR person or they don't have, you know, someone who can dedicate their time to this full time. I, especially with everything that's happened in the last few months, and even in my current role at Techstars, what I've realized is that it's really everybody's role to do it. And if we continue to put the pressure and onus on one individual, that individual is going to burn out. They're going to leave. And it's just not fair to put all of the work on one person. And so from an early, of course, you need someone to lead the work and be able to bring that expertise too, but to put the pressure on one individual to, to own everything and change the culture and like own all diversity, equity and inclusion, that job's impossible. And, you're, and I think there's a lot more power and the, the ripple effect of that is massive.
2: And Stephanie, I'd like to see if you can address the, the notion of diversity theater, I've heard that phrase quite a bit, you know, the performative diversity. I call it Instagram diversity, where people, you know, stand up, put their hand in the air and say that they stand for the cause, but aren't really reflective in their work. How do you avoid it? What are your thoughts on it?
3: I think we've seen like the best examples of this in the last couple months following Black Lives Matter and all these corporate statements with no action behind them. And so I guess, you know, again, like I'm kind of willing to give people the benefit of the doubt if you have this huge company. And I know Comcast did some major moves um, and commitments, but some companies just like said nice words. And I think it's about the doing, you know, granted, we all should have known about this for a long time and we all should have been working toward greater equity, but let's just say you weren't, right? I think that even if you want to get started now, I think the key is like, get started with some actions that are evidence-based that actually have an impact. And it's not just donating money or having your employees volunteer or whatever. It's like, you have to keep your own house in order. So look at your board, look at your leadership team. And it's good. We might take a while to change those things if you're, you know, a lot of startups don't hire a ton of people, um, which you can imagine makes it hard to like really change C numbers, but it also makes it easy to change percentages, right? Because you're not like so far down a rabbit hole that it's going to be hard to change. So commit, you know, we're going to hire, increase our people of color by 20% or by 50%, like Estee Lauder committed and Pepsi Co's and, you know, hundred black managers and Google has done the same thing. Like just set a specific measurable target and then figure out the strategy to get there and make it action-oriented, like, do something, so you're not just exhibiting performative um, diversity. I, I'm working with someone who, says it's, who contrasts performative diversity with transformative diversity. And if you can think about really transforming your organization, like, then what would you do? And that's where you should be focusing your commitment.
2: Have you ever worked in a place with low levels of inclusion and a place with high level of inclusion? Could you try to make a comparison regarding the feeling it gave you, and what lies? What was the biggest difference?
0: Um, I th- so it's really interesting because I think for me personally, right, and, and I I was very fortunate to be able to build a company with the culture that my co-founder and I really wanted. Um, that's what I would really compare to like feeling really included. And I was excited. Like, I don't know how else to frame it other than I was excited to go to work. I felt appreciated. I felt like I was welcomed. Um, I felt like I could talk about things that weren't going well. Um, and it'd be okay. I also, you know, I think that that's so important, especially as we start to realize, and that's something I've advocated for for a long time, that we're all human. And how can we really you know, untame that part of ourselves so that we can we can really, you know, like Stephanie was saying, like be authentic at work. And then as far as a culture that wasn't included, quite the opposite, right? Like feeling unappreciated and feeling like, you know, you're working so hard, but no one's saying thank you or no one is saying, gosh, great job. Like, I love, you know, your perspective on this. Um, like welcoming, you know, different thoughts, being able to, you know, a perfect example is I think feeling comfortable in a meeting speaking up. Um, I have been in work environments where that hasn't been the case, or if I notice a microaggression, if I say something, am I going to get fired is, some, is, is someone going to back channel and, and tell me that I shouldn't have done that? That's what you don't want. And so I think that's, that's a big one for, for me is just really looking internally at like how, how you feel within that work environment.
2: I'm going to ask one more question because I think it's a really important one. In the time of COVID that we're, we're all living through and remote work, what are the implications that you're seeing for DNI improvements, the future of work? Um, I think it's all sort of wrapped into the collective lens and how we look at this. Any thoughts on it?
3: I mean, I see it as an opportunity. I think at first when this started, I thought, oh my gosh, here goes all belonging out the window, right? Because mm-hmm. it's hard to belong when you're like, all you see is people on the screen. But I actually think it creates an immense opportunity because for the previous, I don't know, 10 years I've been doing this work, I think the biggest thing, the biggest barrier is like the status quo. But that's not how we do this. That's not how we've always done it. And the way we've always done it, we that's probably for a reason, we can't just change it, right? Like remote work for flexibility, uh, we can't do that because our data are sensitive. And uh, even though we know it's going to improve women's working experience and millennials demand it, all of a sudden, everyone's working remotely. Amazingly, you were able to do it. We were all able to do it. And so I think with, I think as I picture in my mind, this image that everything has been dismantled and it's all about how we rebuild it.
1: This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more info and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Catherine Nails, editing and mixing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time.